If you have your Bibles, I'm reading from the book of John, chapter 11. And we'll, we won't read the entirety, but we'll, we'll hit the highlights of what we need to hear. Verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany. The town of Mary, Martha. Jesus, verse 6, heard that Lazarus was sick. And he stayed two days in the place where he was. Verse 11. Jesus said, Our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I go, I'm going to wake him out of sleep. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleep, he'll do, he'll do okay. But Jesus spoke of his death, and they thought that he spoke of taking a rest. But then Jesus had to declare to them, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent that he may believe. This is a higher level of belief. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had laid in the grave. Here it is, four days already. Verse 18, we'll end here. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, 15 furlongs. Let's put that in our distance. The NIV gives a declarative. It was less than two miles from where Jesus was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Amen. And I preached today four days from Bethany. Now, Father, we need your help. I pray for all the people. Bless this house. In Jesus' name, I pray. Remove from our thoughts and minds all the clutter and all the things that conflict us so that we can receive your word with gladness of heart, Lord. Remove from us all the trouble of our day and what's coming this next week so that we can receive the word, Lord, that feeds our soul. It's better than our necessary bread. It's better than the meal. The word is better, Lord, than anything that we can ever obtain in this life. In Jesus' name, I pray. I'd like you to put your Bibles down behind you and lift up your hands and voices and just call on the name and ask God to cover your mind in the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus, we pray in your powerful name, the name that's above every name, in Jesus' name. And cover us with your blood, Lord Jesus, the healing, atoning work of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Savior. Thank you. Before you're seated, tell your neighbor that they are the best looking person you've seen all day. And tell them the day's not over though. So far, say so far.
looking back, I, I'm not sure where Dana, my sister, was. Maybe she was with a friend from the church. And strangely enough, Scott found a way out. And since he's with his family this weekend, I feel great liberty to talk about him <laughs> without rebuttal. He, he might have been working, I don't know. But every time there was a wedding, um, mom would bring me with her. And especially to one of those Italian weddings of one of our Italian cousins, distant cousins, her cousin, and then her cousin's children. All of those weddings were conducted in the Catholic Church, and there was a lot of rituals that were foreign to me at first. I got used to them after a while. Mom brought me to weddings. I have a keen memory of going to several weddings with my mother. She was, we were together. And the ceremonies were they, were, they were odd, I guess I could say that, because there was, there was some pomp and circumstance. It, early on, there was a few words spoken in Latin, and then no more. But the food was great. The food was wonderful afterwards. It was phenomenal. And the girls were very pretty. All the girls were pretty. Uh, but mom said that I was not allowed to date Catholic girls, and besides, they were my cousins. <laughs> it didn't mean I didn't try. I just, just. Mama Rosalie, her invitation was much less intrusive than the one that Mary, the mother of Jesus, made when the two of them attended the wedding in Cana of Galilee. My mother just wanted me not to make a scene and be with her like an accessory. But the mother of Jesus wanted him to show forth his power. She heard of a dilemma. They had run out of wine. The bride's father had miscalculated and though we don't think this is a big deal, maybe in those days it had great significance to the value of the father if he did not attend to the guest of his daughter. So Mary turns to Jesus because she knows what's happening and she says to him just one sentence, they have no wine. And the Lord knows what she's asking. He knows that of all the people in the world, she has the closest understanding of who he is. Nobody else really knows. His reply is kind. It's very gentle. He says, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Now, please don't filter those words through your modern term or thought. He did not rebuke his mother. He said, in our terms, it would translate like this. Sweet mother or dear mother. What would you want me to do? My time to reveal myself is not yet. His time was coming. 
when he would heal all the sick in his pathway. When all manner of sickness and diseases would be banished, Jesus would put his thumbs on empty eye sockets and eyeballs would grow back and the blind would see and mud and spittle would heal the, the blind. He, he would call the lame to take up their beds and walk. He would touch, physically reach out and touch lepers and they would walk away healed. But his time to display his power was in waiting. Who knows how many dreadful situations that he passed by on the way to know what we now know as his time. Who knows how many things he could have spoken into existence or could have removed from their lives. But his time was still yet to come. Did you know that the Lord waited 30 years to begin his earthly ministry and that ministry would only last three and a half years three decades of growing luke wrote of jesus when he said and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit filled with wisdom and the grace of god was upon him we see jesus in his birth when he's two years old and when he's when he's 12 years old there are intermittent moments a glance with little understanding but 18 years of history, dialogue, growth, development are entirely missing from the pages of the Holy Scripture. 30 years altogether, the incarnate God is out of sight until Mary represents him and presents him at a wedding in Cana. Even then, Jesus is not fully ready to be revealed. He said, my my hour is not yet come. His time. Can anyone in this room compute his time? Can anyone understand his time? Why is his time so difficult to deal with? Why is it so hard for us to grasp? I want things and I seek for them and I believe for them. And even if he says yes to me, I've learned that his yes to my request does not mean now. Joseph is a young boy. He's a handsome young man. Perhaps he garnishes the look of his beautiful mother, Rachel. Maybe he's got her dark eyes and pleasant smile. Maybe his jawline is, is, is made in such a way that it's the perfect look for a young man. Maybe he's strong. Jacob loves Joseph. And Jacob, his father, makes over Joseph. That's his favorite son. The result of such foolish parenting causes a ripple effect of immense pain. But Jacob still does it. And in the midst of the gifts that Jacob gives his son Joseph, all the partiality and all the bias, God sends Joseph dreams of grandeur. And Joseph repeats them. Joseph says to his brothers, you know, I had a dream and we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly mine rose up and stood up. But yours all bowed down to me. His brothers hated him for those dreams. But Joseph didn't take the hint to be quiet. So when he had another dream, he came back to all the family and said, Listen, everybody, I had another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, mom, dad, lemon stars, all my brothers, you all bowed down to me. Implying that he was the shining star and his whole family would one day serve him. Joseph is a young kid. Maybe in his early, mid mid to late teens when he has those dreams but by the time he's 17 years old his brothers had enough of that and they were moved beyond anger into full rage so they caught him unaware and stripped him and then threw him into a pit and when they decided finally against murder they sold him off into a life of slavery 
The dreams were present, but the fulfillment was far away. Joseph served as a slave until finally he gained the favor of a man named Potiphar, but that didn't last long. And he spent the last port several years in a prison cell. A total of 13 years had passed from the prison to Egypt's Pharaoh's household. But even then, Joseph was separated from the only people in the world he ever loved. At least nine more years passed, maybe more, before Jacob sent his remaining sons to Egypt to buy food. The famine that year had consumed all of the known earth. The dry and desert winds had erased the green and turned it to dust. Twenty-two years was the span in between God's divine given dreams and their fulfillment. The dreams were true, they became a reality, but the distance is the issue both then and now. What God gives and when he brings it about has been the conflict of a million believers over. Did God say it? Yes, he said it. Did God promise it? Yes, he promised it. The question is, when? From the time that God gave Abraham the promise of the covenant to the day that Isaac was born was 25 years. Abraham was 75 years old when he moved from Ur and God gave him the promise. He lived 10 years in Haran when God said that he would have a son. And, then, and that made Abraham 85 years, but he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. 25 years in between the elusive covenant, 15 years in between the specific promise of a son. It was not the next day. Sarah waited years until the promise looked empty because that's what time it takes. The waiting cascades against our desire. It grinds against our conviction. It diminishes our resolve until we lose hope. His time, his time. It seems to stand at odds against his promise. How could this be? And I cannot tell you why he waits. I cannot always make sense of his divine pause. Except to say this today, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. Hear the book of Numbers, chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and he shall not do it? Or hath he spoken, and he shall not make it good? God always makes good on his promises. It's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. Here's the Bible. Paul wrote to the, the Corinthian church. He said, for all the promises, you ought to say all. You ought to say all. Somebody ought to lift their hands and say, he made me a promise. Did he make you a promise? I got a word for you. All the promises of God in him are yea and amen unto the glory of God by us. God's never failed you. He's never given up on you. And I cannot speak of his time, but I say that he is God alone. And he is never early. He's never late. He's never haphazard. He's never disheveled. God is not random in reason. He's not unplanned in purpose. Your friends will fail you, but the Lord will not fail you. Your co-workers will let you down, but the Lord will not let you down. The Lord will not let anybody down. Uh, his, he's not careless. He's not aimless. Your God is not a chaotic God. And that, and that even, even after all has been done and everything's been done, he shall ordain it. He ordains his word because he is the Logos. Uh -huh. 
But we, we see him and we hear, we receive from him. And somewhere we believe that what has been promised or, or given must come about within the framework of our own convenience and understanding. And it rarely does. When in reality, God is always moving in sync according to his own wisdom. Paul said that he works out everything, Ephesians 1, after the counsel of his own will. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who have known the mind of the Lord? Or who have been his counselor? I'll tell you who is the counselor of God. He is his own counselor. You can't bargain with God and speed up the process. You can't lengthen it or extend it. Because God has his own time. He's counseled not by you, but by his own will. He is his own counselor. And the distance in between the dream and the appointment is a matter set in the depth of his wisdom and knowledge. But for our sake, his time provides the means for our strength. What you didn't know was, during the midnight hour and in the prison cell, and when he gave you the dream, and and there's a long span before the fulfillment, that's the proving time of your life. Because you had to wait on him. Some of the things that God's promised, you can't even arbitrarily fix. You have to wait on God. You got to wait on him. <laughs> you got to wait on him. I'm kind of remembering the whole story. I, I was there. I can remember sitting in the back seat of my grandpa's car. Big, long cars back in those days. Four miles to the gallon. Big cars. My grandma was always late. My grandfather was always early. Remember, sitting in that big, big brown car, the Chrysler. Whoa. The trunk. You could put multiple bodies in the back of the trunk. (laughs) We would sleep in the window, the back window of the car. You could even climb up in that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was like an aquarium back there. The window was massive. You you could look in. My grandpa would be early. Always early. And my grandmother was always late. And he would honk the horn the whole time she was in the house. He honked the horn and yell. (laughs) She couldn't hear him yelling. But every time he honked the horn, she waited a little longer. Uh-huh. He wasn't going to hurry her up. She's coming when she came. She walking out when she walked out. That's it. He's frustrated. He's early. She's late. I want to tell you right now, you got frustrated with God. You're honking. You're wanting God to speed up the process because you think in your mind this is how it ought to be. You laid it all out and you presented to God. It sounds good to you. It's logical to you. But to God, he has his own measure. And you can't counsel him into doing what you want him to do. He is his own counselor and he's going to do it in his time. And if you'll wait on him, it'll do something for you because not in the fulfillment, nor in the promise, but in between becomes something powerful for you. Here is what the Bible says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In the middle is where you're going to get strength. In the middle, not the promise, not the fulfillment, but in the middle you're gonna walk you're gonna run you're gonna mount up in the weight that's when you're gonna do it 
It's not when you want it. It's when he wants it. We are not God, but he is God. He's never failed you. I don't care if it's been years or decades. The Lord is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not like you. He's not like me. He's not like your best friend. He's greater than all of them. I know what we want. We want to believe that. We think we even know it. We've heard it. We sing about it. We have written songs about waiting on God. The problem comes when you have to live in it and walk in it. The problem comes when Jesus is less than two miles away, but waits until the tomb has been sealed. And by now they said he stinks. The problem comes when he's four days from Bethany. And logic takes over. And the inevitable happens. And he's really not four days. I looked, found Dr. Louis Villazon, scientist. Measure sight and distance. He said, dust, water, vapor, and pollution in the air will, will, will rarely let you see more than 12 miles even on a clear day. Often, he writes, the curvature of the earth gets in the way first, but at sea level, the horizon is only two and a half miles away. If you go to Mount Everest, he wrote, you could theoretically see for 211 miles, but in practice, he said, clouds get in the way. Then he said, for a truly unobstructive view, look up. On a clear night, you can see the Andromeda galaxy with the naked eye, which is 2.2 million light years away. So I would just assume, had the elevation been right, Jesus could have seen Bethany from where he stood. If Mary and Martha had the right elevation on a clear night, maybe they could have made out the campfire where Jesus slept. Jesus waving their arms, come over here. Why isn't he coming? I think he's looking right at us. Maybe we should go get him. He's really not four days from Bethany. He's a few steps from Bethany. But his time is the length of his revelation. We're the ones struggling with distance. He's waiting on his own divine appointment. I know I get it. I've had those times of inspiration and dreams and visions and words from God. And then a long blank space. And the danger is when I step in the way of his preordained purpose and try to manage the promise by myself. It happened when Abraham looked at his aging wife and said, well, maybe she had a chance 25 years ago to have a baby, but I don't know. Maybe 15 years ago when God said, but she's 99, I'm 100. And the damage is done when we interject ourselves into the equation. We are never more foolish than when we decide on our own that we can fix God's promise by intervening in behalf of the unfulfilled promise. Ishmael, ladies and gentlemen, was the result of Abraham and Sarah's impatience. And Ishmael has caused more wars, hear it, and division and suffering than any person and descendant in human history. Abraham says, God gave me a promise, but it's been a long time. What do you think, Sarah? What should we do? Sarah says, well, well how about having a baby with my handmaiden, Hagar? No relation to Sammy. And the scripture calls her the bond woman. Ishmael, no fault of his own, is a baby. And Hagar, the servant that she was, was not the, the person of the promise. But impatience and frustration takes over. And they were exasperated in the wait 
Too many years, maybe God has forgotten or maybe he's terribly late. You see, his time rarely appeals to our sensibilities. Four days looks like a slap in the face. It looks calloused and indifferent. Jesus is not more than three hours by foot and less if he rode. Lazarus lays in his deathbed and Jesus, the Bible says, tarries. He has a reason, but the reason looks meager to well-intentioned believers. And if we're not careful, four days from Bethany is the distance long enough to give up on the wonder of the master. The wait, the time, the delay, deferred action of the Lord is teaching us patience. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 21 verse 19, in your patience, you can possess something. That means you take charge, ownership of your soul. Here's what the Amplified Bible says. Be by your patient endurance, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will gain your soul. The literal translation is that you occupy yourself. That you actually own, finally. That you, in a sense, took over when you are waiting on God. I'm going to tell you right now, this is a very uncomfortable sermon for me. I'm preaching to myself from the start to the finish. I'd rather go back and talk about the Italian girls in the wedding. (laughs) This is bothering me, Elder. Because I know what God has said to me. And I know that when he said it to me, I had expectations that he was going to fulfill it in, in my time. I had even a thought that God would work it out so that it was comfortable for me. But sometimes... Oftentimes, he waits until it is dead and I've given up on it. And now I'm, I go back to him and say, I still love you, Lord. It's okay, I love you. You're a good God. I, I told you about this four days ago. But it's okay, it's okay. I'm still going to love you. <laughs> It's okay, I forgive you, Lord. <laughs> I forgive you, Jesus, because you, you told me, we told you, you could, you could have done this. And then he waits until that thing is impossible for it to come back. Because he's got another purpose for you. See, it's not just what he can do, because he can do that anytime. There's something in the middle that he's trying to teach me. It's in my waiting time that he's trying to strengthen me. Because you never trust God if he gives you everything that you want in a moment. You wait a little bit, you're going to learn to trust God. You're going to sing, I trust you, Lord. Oh, how I trust. You don't trust him until the thing that you love is gone, or the thing that you're praying for has a long space, and you end up in prison, and 22 years pass. And you feel abandoned and you feel alone and you're doing good in someone's eyes but not really where you want to be. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Here's what the word says. You know, James puts pen to parchment. He told us about the farmer. He called him the husbandman waiting for the precious fruit. 
He said in James 5, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. You see, the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. And how patient is he for the autumn and spring rains? Something valuable comes in that time. Consider that farmer, how he, how he plants, but he can do nothing now. Now the sun, through photosynthesis, and the rain has to do its work. All he can do is plant and wait for the harvest. How long did Simeon wait to see what he called the consolation of Israel? I'll tell you how long his entire life. He's standing there in the temple 40 days after the birth of Jesus. Now he's holding the Messiah in his hands and he says, Finally, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Anna comes in. After that moment, she's 84 year old, 84 year old, 84 is 84 years old, the Bible says. She's a widow, patiently waiting for the moment of all moments. Jesus, the Christ child, has come to hope, the light, the Savior. All of those years of darkness working under corrupt leadership and priests making sacrifices with no relationship to God. Her life is now spent. There's nothing left. And the Bible says, and she coming in that instant gave thanks it all changed in an instant but that came after these words and she did not depart from the temple but served god with fastings and prayers night and day night and day she was serving god 84 years 70 years as a widow and she would not leave the temple and she prayed and she fasted and she prayed and she fasted i wonder how many people would give up after seven days or seven weeks or seven months or seven years but would you keep on praying for 70 years night and day and then one day the instant finally the instant came and the Christ child is in her hands I tell you you don't know God's time his time is right don't get discouraged he may be four days from Bethany but those four days are for you not for him uh-huh. I'm reading I, I, I cannot this is replete throughout the Bible there's no we don't have enough time to talk about it all but I will say that The prophet Joel prophesied about Pentecost 700 years before Peter quoted him. Talk about time. Peter preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost as the crowd watched them speak with other tongues as the Holy Ghost gave them the utterance. And Peter said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. God does not forget his promise. You might think it's gone, buried, and dead. Seven centuries later, God had a plan, but they didn't know the plan. And you could say, that was another generation ago. Jeremiah wrote, and he wrote under the unction of the Holy Ghost. God speaking through him. He's just dictating the words of the author. And Jeremiah says this. God speaking, am I a God at hand? Saith the Lord, and not a God far off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do I not fill heaven and earth? Saith the Lord, I know the context. 
that God is everywhere, that he sees things done in secret and in the open, that he's not confined to a space, a building, or a temple, that he knows the wrong that people are doing. But look closer, and you have to answer, no, you are not a God confined. You are a God that knows exactly where I am. My sin is not hidden, but neither are my needs. My recklessness is not hidden, but neither are my wretched states. My loneliness is not hidden from you, but neither is my help. You are not far from my situation. I have to learn to trust and believe in God, because the distance... Is where people backslide. The distance is where people lose faith and lose hope. The distance is where people abandon the church and say, they preached to me, they prophesied to me, they told me it was going to happen, but it's been months and two years and five years and six days and whatever the time was, I thought it was going to happen tomorrow. I thought when they laid hands on me, they said that I would be healed or delivered. I thought when I got a promise or a revelation that it was going to happen, but it's been a long time ago. I wonder how many revivals have been thwarted. Not because God wasn't going to give it. But when the prophecy came, the people got discouraged in the way. And they gave up their prayer and fasting night and day. And they said, oh, that must have been a mistake. You see, in the wait, in the period of time, that's when we lose faith. But I rise to say today, don't let the four days from Bethany bring discouragement to your life. He didn't leave you. He didn't anoint you and then abandon you. He didn't give you a promise and then take it back. He didn't, somebody hear this. He didn't put a dream in you and then forget about what he gave you. He didn't provide a vision of what would be and then forget what he gave. Now, the Lord spoke to me that some of you don't know this yet but you're going to know it because he's going to give you something he's going to speak a word to you in your sleep or someone else is going to say something to you it's going to be a divine word from God and then nothing's going to happen for a long period of time here pastor and in that period of time wait on the Lord your strength will be renewed Live every day as if it already has happened. And believe God and don't lose hope or lose courage. What you don't know is that the prayers you pray today never die around the throne. They're floating around the throne. So 60 years ago, when Mother Reitzel got on her knees and started to pray the prayer, Lord, save my son. Lord, save my son. Lord, save my son. When her husband wasn't kind to her and he didn't treat her right, she still said, Lord, save my son, save my children. And then she died and her son was not saved. Because I walked into her house because she had been, she, she died in her sleep and no one knew about it. I walked in her house, there was a lot of people in there and she was laying in her bed. She was asleep in the Lord. She was gone. And her son walked in. Her son was there, but he was not in the church. He wasn't serving God. He was far from God. I had been commissioned by Sister Reitzel to go visit her son when her son had the dealership in Clinton. I went there to visit him. He didn't really like for me coming because I provided guilt 
I walk in and it's a memory of what his mother was praying about. And he didn't like that. So when I came in and talked to his secretary, he would, she, he, she would make me wait in the green chair for a long period of time before I got to go into his office. Come on, now confess this, brother. This is why I say when he comes to the office and the, 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 the office staff says, Brother Reitzel is here. I said, just make him wait out there for a long time. Just make him wait out there. I come, you got anything to do? No, I got nothing on my agenda, but just, just give him five minutes. Just... Sorry, Mike. Confession's good for the soul. But it was a phone call in my office on the North Campus when I was in there that he calls me and says, it's time. I've heard that a lot. I've heard people say, I'm coming back to church. I'm going to get in church. I've heard that so many times. And you know what I say? Praise God, let's go. Come on, that's great. But a lot of times people make declarations. They have no no intention of following through. It's a moment. And then the moment passes. But he said, no, I got to take you to breakfast. I got to go. I, Pastor, I gotta, I've got to get in church. My mother is gone. Hear me. Even if she didn't see it, the promise of what God told her did not fade away. Because he's not a man. God is not short. He's not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. I want to tell you, every one of you are an answer to prayer. You are an answer to someone's prayer. Someone was praying for you. They may not have seen the fulfillment, but they, they have a promise that God is faithful to you. Sister Carla used to sing, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he's going to be right on time. I understand what we're saying, but I want to tell you, he's not just an on-time. That's for us. But he's a God in our time. He's a God in his time. Whenever he wants to be there, that's the right time. You want to be impatient? I'm going to tell you, don't get impatient. God knows what he's doing. If you have not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, don't get impatient. You get up again and you go to the altar again. If that heavy burden is not lifted from you, you get up again and fall on your face and say, Lord, I'm here to pray one more time. If the Lord's given you a vision or a revelation, I want you to know God is faithful to your needs. And he's not far from any one of us. And all the people ought to clap their hands unto the Lord and shout unto God because he's a good God. He's coming. I got to tell you, he's coming. He's not going to be late. He's not going to be early. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's going to give you what he gave you. He's going to fulfill what he promised. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's enough witnesses in this house tonight to say he is a faithful God. And when one of your friends say, didn't the Lord promise you something years ago? You say, yes, but I'm trying to possess my soul. I'm trying to gain my strength. I know it's going to happen, but in the meantime, he's teaching me something. I'm on the front row played the drums went to the front row evangelist is preaching brother Jonathan he's preaching young guy I'm 14 
the Lord spoke to me when I was 14. He called me to be a pastor when I was 14. And I cried, didn't say a word. I didn't want to tell anybody what the Lord said to me. And the evangelist came down and put his arms around me and said, Jeffrey, the Lord called you tonight, didn't he? And I said, yes. He called you to be a pastor. I said, yes. But 17 years later, that's when it happened. It wasn't that moment. I wasn't ready. I had to gain a little understanding. I had to get a little, I had to be grounded. I needed to know. You see, God has to prepare you to be able to handle the revelation that he gave you. Some of you want it now, but you couldn't handle it if he gave you the vision. Joseph did not know how to handle an entire nation. He had to go through some pain and suffering. What he didn't understand was Potiphar's house was college. And the prison was another education. It was grad school. Can you be the leader in prison? The Bible says they made him, the the chief jailer made him in charge of all the prison. What you don't know is you look like you're going down further when the Lord is just lifting you up. Because you can't stand in authority until the Lord puts you through a process so you can handle the power of the dream. Come on, don't get discouraged. He's on your side. He's working for you. When you think it's bleak, he's working for you. When you think it's dead, he's working for you. Four days from Bethany is the best thing that could ever happen to you. And in an instant, everybody say an instant. Say in an instant. In a moment, say in a moment. Come on, in a moment, in a moment, in a moment. It can change. In a moment, it can change. And when it changes, you're going to look back and understand. Now I know. Now I can see. Oh, yeah. I've been trying for a long time, Pastor. I've been working on this a long time. I've got discouraged. I don't understand God. Well, guess what? Join the rest of us. Oh, how unsearchable are the, are the thoughts of the Lord. Way past him now. You can't figure out God, even if you try. And the more you try, the more you get frustrated. You'll wonder. You'll see him afar off. Hey, come over here. I see the campfire. On a good day, I can see him, but he's not moving my way. He's waiting until your problem is so bad. It starts to stink. And what you love, now it repels you. And then he walks in. And all of a sudden, the things that you thought were gone come back to life. I know why he did it. Because he wanted to show them that he's the resurrection life. But I want to know what happens to me in the meantime. You see... You don't know you love God when you get a bonus. You don't know you really love God when you get a pay raise and a new job and a rich uncle dies. We keep talking about rich uncles. Who has a rich uncle? Tim, you got a rich uncle? Praise God, oh, pray. Yes, that's right. Oh, Lord. Write him a little card this week, Timmy. Just tell him you've been thinking about him. I forgot. That's true. Let's talk about that when we get home. Don't let me forget. You don't know that you love God when everything's working out right for you and everything's happy and wonderful and it couldn't be better. No. No, no, wait a second. Because all of that appeals to your natural flesh, but it's when... You are in a blank 
space and there's a distance now your praise is going to be refined now your worship is going to be tested now your testimony it's going to be known because you're going to give praise worship and a testimony when you don't have the result in your hand Four days. It's only going to take him a couple hours to walk. Four days. And now all of us in here are going to have to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding. Come help me, brother. Please stand if you will. I have more to preach, but I feel like you've received this right now. And I feel like everyone in this house should just ask God to give them the courage to believe in the Lord and to trust in the Lord. The songwriter said, even when I cannot see his hand, I've learned how to trust his heart. This is the word for your life today. Because there's many of us in here that are in the middle. So I want you just to do this with me. and You you don't have to, but I'm inviting you. You just close your eyes. and For a moment, forget about, pray. I forget about everything else, Lord. But I pray right now for myself. I'm going to take this moment. I'm going to thank you, Lord. I'm confessing with my mouth that you are Lord and Savior and the giver of all good things. Somebody ought to say out of your mouth, I believe the vision and the dream was from you. It's going to happen, Lord. It's going to happen in your time. It's going to happen in your time. And Lord, forgive us, Lord, for trying to press your time into our dimension. Yes, 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 yes. Ah. You ought to bow your head before the sovereign God of glory. He's not going to counsel you when you want it to happen, when you believe something should take place. He's going to counsel according to his own will. You should just submit it right now to the Lord. I submit to your time. I submit to your word.